Hello film lovers, yes, it's that time of the year again. Get comfortable, whap out your popcorn and get ready for fireworks. It's the New Year's special of the Films I Love Most podcast. Film lovers and welcome to the Films I Love Most podcast New Year's special. It's New Year's Day. How are you all feeling? Do you have a headache? I've had a couple of Alka-Seltzers myself this morning. Had a very, very fun night last night. Went to the Wolf of Wall Street immersive experience. And yeah, we'll get into that in maybe a later episode. (laughs) Right now, I can't think of it without my head throbbing. But thank you so much if you joined us yesterday for the 10 most worst films of 2019. Of course, we need to level that out with the top 10 best films of 2019, which this episode is dedicated to. So... Is the film that you thought was the best on the list? Who knows? Let's find out. Number 10 on the Films I Love Most podcast New Year's special 10 best films is Knives Out. I've read probably about 80% of Agatha Christie's works. I think that she is an absolute master in her field. I used to live in Paris. There was one bookshop in Paris that sold English books. And because I wasn't very good at French at the time, the only books that they sold were Agatha Christie's. So... For a very, very long time, Agatha Christie was the only author that I could could read. Because this was the time before I discovered Amazon Prime. And I absolutely fell in love with her as an author. I think she is an absolute genius. Her plots are great. I've never been disappointed by a conclusion. I think her best books are... The three that I absolutely adore are The ABC Murders... The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, and and then there were none. Those three are probably the groundwork for every thriller, murder mystery novel that has ever been published since. Why am I talking about Agatha Christie? Because it ties in very neatly to the next film that I'm going to be reviewing, which is Knives Out, which... I actually did see at the London Film Festival, but I didn't want to review it then because I knew that a lot of people wouldn't have seen it until its official release, which is this week. And I've actually gone to the cinema and rewatched it again because I think it's an absolute joy of a film. 
It stars Daniel Craig, Chris Evans. It's got Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette. A fantastic cast. Oh, don't forget Christopher Plummer. Catherine Langford. I mean, it's really, really, really well cast. I think that this is going to be a new jumping on starting point for the murder mystery. I think this has really raised the game. I used to love the film Clue when I was younger with Tim Curry. There is definitely like a feel to Clue in this. So Clue was based on the popular board game Cluedo. It's definitely in here. But what Knives Out does really well is it takes a genre which has had many incarnations and twists and turns those incarnations, almost like taking different colours of Play-Doh and putting them all together and just mixing them in with each other to make this perfectly formed model of a movie. You've got Murder, She Wrote in there. You've got Columbo, which plays a huge part in the narrative and storytelling. And then you've got Agatha Christie and you've got Sherlock Holmes. It all comes together so well. The narrative is really, really well done. I mean, I watched it again. Mind you, I know the whole plot from watching it at the film festival. But there were things I was seeing again that went, I went, of course. Oh, yeah, that's so clever. I wouldn't have noticed that the first time around. I'm so glad that I watched it again. And it really takes you on a journey where you have no idea where your destination is. And that is very rare in a film of this kind. Usually about a quarter of the way, halfway through a film like this, I'm like, oh, well, I know where this is going. But with Knives Out, it really is the windiest road. And performance-wise, it is so well done. It's done with such conviction. Everybody in that film throws themselves into their characters. And Rian Johnson, who wrote it, well known for writing Looper and The Last Jedi, the the film, you know, Star Wars film from before. And he just does such a good job with this film. I love Jamie Lee Curtis in it. She's this sort of grandiose, bitchy matriarch of this family who loves her father. And then in the very first scene, you find out that her father has committed suicide or so everybody thinks. And that's where the plot develops from. I love Knives Out. I want to see it again. I think that I could watch this film at least once a week and be happy because it really is such a clever, classic genre movie with some really neat 21st century twists. So I give Knives Out 9 out of 10. I'm Detective Lieutenant Elliot and this is Trooper Wagner. We just want to ask a few questions. We understand the night of his demise, the family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. How was it, by the way? The party, pre my dad's death. Oh, it was great. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to request that you all stay until the investigation is completed. What? 
Can we ask why? Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask. I'm gonna live till I die. You think one of his family walls, walls. killed? Is that what you're suggesting? You all love twisting the knife into one another. Up your ass. Oh, very nice. Matter of fact, eat shit. How's that? Eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. Smug smile. Definitely eat shit. You know something. Spill it. I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. <laughs> I'm gonna live. Twisted web. We are not finished untangling it, not yet. What is this? CSI KFC? Number nine on the list is a horrid little affair from the summer. It is Midsummer. Midsummer, the themes are pretty similar to those of The Wicker Man, for example, and films that deal with religion and festivals, especially pagan festivals. But Midsummer is a very different animal to The Wicker Man, and I'll explain why in a moment. But yes, Midsummer is the second film from Ari Aster, who directed Hereditary last year, um, probably one of the most shocking films I've seen in the cinema if not for the awful last 15 minutes, which I did not take to at all. Um, such a good build-up, such a disappointing end. Luckily, Midsummer does not suffer from that fate, so you'll be pleased to know. Um, Midsummer starts off with a group of friends and a troubled relationship between uh, the characters of Christian and Danny. Danny's family are killed in quite a horrific way and she needs a shoulder to cry on and Christian is not that shoulder um, as we learn but um, yeah Christian is going to do a university thesis on Midsummer, which is a pagan festival um, and is going to Sweden to study this so off he trots to Sweden um, and Danny decides that she wants to come too the thing I found troubling about this film is that from the moment that they arrive at the Swedish village, the sense of dread and hopelessness overwhelmed me so much that I found it very difficult to get too invested in the characters because I just thought horrible things are going to happen to them. And I do get very emotionally attached to characters and films. So I knew that, you know, they were not going to have an easy ride. So therefore, I sort of kept my distance a little bit. That lasted for about 15 minutes. And I then I was completely drawn into it. It was beautiful to look at. The performances are fantastic. Florence Pugh, who plays Danny, is 
hypnotizing in that role. I mean, you can't take your eyes off her. She's beautiful. She plays it with conviction. You can see the 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 hurt and the grief that she's dealing with and the suspicion and the jealousy that she has towards her boyfriend. All of these are in a huge cooking pot and then all of this weird stuff is going on in this village uh, during this festival. And she's just incredible. I mean, I think that that is an Oscar-nominated performance, but it probably won't be because of the film itself. Um... There's a lot of other characters that are a little bit throwaway. I know that a lot of people would watch this film for Will Poulter's um, appearance, but he's in it very sparingly, um, and his character is actually very annoying. I did not really enjoy his character at all, so I was quite happy um, when he met his fate, which I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's pretty grim. The themes, I would say, it's not so much a dark fairy tale, but a dark sort of breakup movie in some way. I know that sounds weird, but it is a grotesque, twisted breakup movie because, you know, you can see from the very beginning that Danny and Christian's relationship is falling down around their ears. But, you know, and you know that one of them should go, do you know what, this isn't working. But the way they go about it in this film is pretty extreme. Um, It is very violent. I'm not going to lie to you. It's... It's graphic um, gore was very off-putting to me, even though I am used to watching horror movies. This was very intense, very gruesome, very torturous in some scenes. I felt physically sick in some scenes because of a mixture of music, a mixture of cinematography and graphic material. If you are a fan of bears, I would probably say that this film is not for you. Um, (laughs) Even though um, the company who made the film have now released an action figure of the the bear from the film, which I think is very funny. You can purchase that on their website. Bit twisted, but never mind. Yes, I am... Right now, I'm lost for words when I'm thinking about this film, just like I was when I walked out of the cinema. It's beautiful. One of the things that sh- like that stands out immediately is the fact that it all takes place during the sort of daylight hours because at that time in Sweden there's very little um, darkness because of the season. So all these horrors are playing out in very bright sunshine which is very unusual for a horror movie. There's very little darkness in the film. Uh, it's It's... It's interesting. There's a lot of underlining themes going on. There's like each character has a very strong motivation for what they're doing and why they're there. It's one of those things where, you know, like hereditary and Midsummer to me are like clowns. You know, there's something dark going on behind it, but it's dark with darkness with a smile. And that is what scares me the most about Midsummer is that. Horrible things are happening, but there are people that are enjoying it and people that are getting involved and that are loving the festivities, even though these horrific things are happening. And that is the most scariest thing in the film to me, that, you know, extreme violence, extreme brutality against human beings is happening and there are people celebrating it and embracing it. And that is horrible. I would say the last 15 minutes 
are so intense that my stomach flipped like I was on a roller coaster at least twice. That bit when you get to the top of a roller coaster and then you drop, that was the end of Midsummer for me. That's what exactly the same feeling. Would I recommend it? Absolutely. Should you see it? Yes. Why? Because it's one of those films that we will look back and go, that changed the face of a genre. That film is is a genre-bending, genre-redefining film. Will you enjoy it? Probably not. It's not one of those films that you come out and go in, I loved that, I thought, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's an experience movie. So go and experience it. I would give Midsummer 9 out of 10. It is a masterpiece, but please be warned. You will not sleep well for at least three nights after watching it. Happy Midsummer! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> Welcome and happy Midsummer. Unbelievable. <laughs> Let our feast commence. It's like they're trying to make it gross. What are they playing? Skin the fool. Skin the fool. So we're just gonna ignore the bed. It's a bear. Dude, of all the things to let me sleep through. That sounds fun. Red rum. Red Rum. Yes, number eight. Who could forget Halloween going to the cinema and seeing the sequel to this absolute horror classic. At number eight, it is Doctor Sleep. Bonjour to Le Monde. Yes, at the moment, Keith in the past is doing reviews, but I'm Keith from the future, Hannah. You're so futuristic, uh, I see I it in know. your eyes. This is Hannah regular contributor to the podcast and we've been to see Dr. Sleep. You have? Sequel to The Shining. What were your thoughts? Well, I think I know what you think because we both were sort of grabbing each other throughout the film. I think we both really loved it. Okay. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really nice sequel. Mm -hmm. Like, it tied up quite some, like, loose ends from The Shining. Mm -hmm. Like, the bit when Danny goes into the room... And you don't actually see what happens to him. It sort of tied that up a little bit in the film. Do you know when he goes into room 237? Yeah, oh, I see what you mean, yes. Yeah, and um, when... You know, just like little things about what happened to his mum, what happened to them... Excuse the background sound. Uh, what happened to them when they left the Overlook Hotel? Should we wait for this uh, ambulance? That just is obviously lacking attention. Um, yeah, so... I liked how it filled in those gaps. This is going to be a spoiler-filled, um, uh, yeah, you know, a review because we have to spoil it. I would agree with you. I definitely, as well, thought that the people who were playing characters that were in the original film did a really good job of sort of emulating without 
trying to imitate, if you see what I mean. So I the, completely understand. That the was actress, one of the questions I was going to ask you, actually. What did you think about like the stand-ins, basically? They were good. Like, the Dan's mother, was, her voice was amazing. She didn't, she wasn't completely doing a complete impression, but her voice was very similar. And the little boy who played Danny was really good in the like beginning. Him. Yeah, yeah. I thought I really liked that at the beginning. Like, mm. it was almost like the day after mm. The Shining. You, you find out yeah. what happens and I, I agree with you or even well actually I would say Jack Torrance maybe not Jack Torrance um, because it took a while for me to basically what happens is in Doctor Sleep he Danny Torrance goes to the bar that Jack Torrance sat at in the hotel and instead of it being Lloyd the original Lloyd it's Jack Torrance as Lloyd do you think that might tie into that really weird ending of The Shining that everybody sort of doesn't really understand about that Jack yeah. Torrance always being there? He was always the caretaker, but he's the bartender in that scene. Well, I'm not sure. Well, I haven't read The Shining or Doctor Sleep, but is that a part of the books? Uh, no, because, because Steve, it, Stephen King hates the original well, film. Well, I was going to say that if, to me it feels as though maybe Doctor Sleep is more authentic to the books than The Shining is. Is that a, just me? Well, I think what they've used is they use the iconology of the film to sort of as a familiar thing for audiences but the book sort of is a sequel to The Shining of the book it's not a sequel to the film yeah, yeah. and the film and the book are quite different so mm-hmm. therefore they're, they're two different entities mm-hmm. so but Doctor Sleep the film is definitely a sequel to the film including the changed ending because um, you don't see so much of the hotel um, that was not explored in the original whereas in the book you see quite a lot more of the hotel that okay. was explored in the original Shining book does that make sense? I think so yeah <laughs> but the ending is very different let's put it like that and okay. if you want to read the book you'll get a different experience mm-hmm. but a lot of the key scenes that I really enjoyed from the book are in the film mm-hmm. I would. another thing I would say is that The Shining is more sort of has a hand in reality a lot more whereas this is a lot more delving deep into the magical nature of things whereas yes. I feel like it's on the fringes of The Shining you kind of get little hints of weird stuff happening the whole throughout but it's not as intense I think there's like a way of explaining it isn't there that the hotel fed on The Shining mm-hmm. which I didn't really get from the original film no. I didn't get that but this is those sort of shining vampires you could say mm-hmm. they feed on The Shining each, of, each and every one of them is like a mini version of the Overlook Hotel mm-hmm. except the Overlook Hotel is this big massive entity that just sucks people with the shining dry yes yeah, interesting way of looking at it and also does that mean that Jack Torrance had the shining because they fed on him so much yeah maybe yeah we never really that's never really explored is it whether Jack has the shining or whether Wendy has it because she sees quite a lot of stuff in the original mm. film well, only at the end, though, right? She only yeah, she yeah. sees that. I'm really there's a bit in uh, Doctor Sleep where they bring back all the entities from the original film, which I thought was really weird. I thought it was a bit like like a Marvel movie. I know what you mean. Where yeah. they bring it was a little bit hammy at the end, very slightly, because it was like all the ghostly figures you see in The Shining are there in one like lined up together. In yeah, one, yeah. One shot. Like the twins and the guy that says "Great party, isn't it?" And the bath lady. Yeah, and the bath lady. What did you think of the end? I thought that was the only negative that I could think was the end was really rushed. Where in, in the book, it's quite prolonged, the ending. Well, I don't know, because the film itself is long, but it didn't feel long. You're very gripped throughout, and you really... I don't know, I was so on the story, and... 
I don't know, I guess it was slightly, you could tell where it was going, and in the very last scene of the film, you see, um, oh, I've forgotten her name, Abra? Abra, yeah. Abra, talking to Danny, and it's kind of clear that he's not alive. Yes. And there's kind of like a little reveal, but it's not. I really. get that. I, I, I understand that. Again, very different to the book. Uh, no spoilers there, but it's, it, Danny doesn't die in the book, as far as I can remember. I did read it last year, but he doesn't die in the book. Mm. Although, having said that, maybe I agree with you because when um, Rose dies, that felt, I felt like it was too sudden, like it was too easy to kill her. Yes, because, like I said in the book, that whole plan is quite prolonged, mm. whereas here it was almost very quick. And he, he um, also, there was a bit when the, his original plan fails. You know, the original plan to lock her in a box fails. But it's almost like this was the plan all along, was to set the the Overlook ghosts on her. I see what you mean, but also it went wrong for him as well, clearly, because he ended up killing himself. Well, he ended up dying, yeah. yeah. Yes, I mean, it did not go well. Again, this is all sort of weird territory um, for me, because obviously that wasn't in the book. So... That all went a little bit different. So let's talk about Rebecca Ferguson, because I think she was actually one of my favourite things in the film. She played the hat. Mm-hmm. What did you think of her performance? I liked her. Um, at first, when I first saw her, I was a little bit unconvinced by her the costuming. Beautiful. The costuming. Oh, the costuming, okay. I thought it was a little bit over the top with this like top hat and the pin and the spooky hair. <laughs> I yeah, thought yeah. it was a little bit too much. But yeah, I. I got more into her. She I was... loved her performance. There's a bit in the film where she sort of has an outer body experience and, and transports oh, so, yeah, her okay. body yeah. across to where um, Abra. Abra is. Yeah. And it's such a clever sequence because when she gets sucked back into her body, like that, 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 that made me jump. Yeah. That shot of her getting sucked in and then falling off the top of the van. Yeah. I thought that was so good. Let the cinematography mm. I thought was amazing. That was one thing I wanted to speak about because the way that they made material things that are not like immaterial, they made a sort of material um, portrayal of those things that were really inventive. And especially the one you mentioned just then, like Abra. Sorry, Rose tries to get into Abra's brain and is thrown back into her own body, as you say. And it's like her spirit body collides with her own body and it like yeah. tumbles off. But not the... only that, but the sequence in the um, shopping supermarket yeah, when she gets thrown back into her body and yeah. the the, uh, the fridge explodes and she's catapulted across the it's just so good it's so inventive um, I would like right up to probably the bit when they get to the Overlook Hotel which I thought was going to send me over the edge I, in like geekdom yeah. I thought this is going to be complete fan wank and I was just going to go boom and explode but actually everything before that I enjoyed a lot more than when they got to the Overlook I would agree and yeah. up to that point till they got to the Overlook I was thinking this is going to be my best film of the year mm. this is going to be my favourite film of the year I cannot, yeah. until they got to the Overlook but the build up there was great as well when they first when they sort of it, it starts the sequence when they're going to Overlook it basically is the beginning of The Shining it's the same shots and the same music yes and then we, were, we were both like oh my god I, we looked yeah. at each other and just went we're in heaven yeah this is heaven <laughs> Because literally that very opening shot of like the, the camera the, slightly yeah, tilted yeah. going towards the, the sort of the trees and, and the, the small island, the, the mountain, yeah, yeah. Um, is exactly the same. And you had the... I mean, um, 
you'll hear later on in the podcast that my friend Melissa is going to be talking about The Shining and it's her favourite film and I can just picture her in the cinema in that sequence just gripping the yeah. uh, her partner Paul and just going ah this is incredible but um, yeah that to me was like the pinnacle of the film after that it went slightly downhill but still really good I, I still really enjoyed it I did I, to be honest I wasn't really thinking that I didn't like the ending so it's only now that you mention it that I'm kind of I only, really the only reason it. I didn't like it as much as I wanted to was because it was rushed but because that's only because I've read the book mm. and I know that the book has a more sort of layered twisty ending than uh-huh. the film does mm-hmm. when she dies Rose dies in the film I was like oh no she's going to come back I thought that she'll well, come back it seemed like she was because the, the way that the vigils are done when the vampire people whatever they are are dying yeah. it's kind of like they're flickering away and she was flickering as though shining like, suckers shall we call yeah. them shining suckers she was flickering away but then she didn't come back as I expected her to yeah, and yeah. it was just over well she came back as Danny because she was possessing Danny's body, right? But no, she was... it was the hotel possessing him. Oh, I was. I, I, thought it was... I thought it was Rose the Hat that was inside him at the end. I thought that it was the hotel that was inside him at the end. Oh, well, if you know, if any of you have seen it, please <laughs> put it on Twitter. <laughs> team Hannah or Team Keith. <laughs> Battle, go. Um, no, I'm only joking. It could be either or. We have both different interpretations, and that's good. That's what film's about. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Rose the Hat inside him trying to kill Abra. Well, it's just because she died and then... I thought she became part of the hotel. And all the characters from the hotel grab him and they go inside of him. Yeah. And then... That's a little bit confusing. I am going to watch it again just to tell you that. I would love to see it again in the cinema. Yeah, I'm going to watch watch it again. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I watched The Shining last night Mm. and that enriched the experience because it, it felt like... The film felt like, even though it's obviously different actors playing the roles, it felt like it, at the end of The Shining there could be a caption that comes up the next day yeah. and then got to sleep just carries straight on. That's another thing. I would say that they did a really good job of emulating a lot of the shots. So, like, when flashbacks to Jack Torrance banging, like, knocking down the bathroom door with the, the hammer was really, like, I thought it was a clip from the original film, but it's not. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, what, with the axe really, when it's yeah, coming it's through. Yeah, yeah. And also when Danny's riding around on the yeah, trike. Yeah, in the opening. Yeah, and he gets to room 237 and the door opens. So I kept thinking that it was taken yeah, yeah. on the original film, but it wasn't. It was just um, an really amazing. Well Mike Flanagan did an amazing job. Um, he is now becoming the number one director to adapt Stephen King, seeing he did Gerald's Game as well on Netflix. So fingers crossed that it, there's more to come from him because I really enjoyed it. What would you give Doctor Sleep out of 10? I so enjoyed it. Maybe a nine or even, I don't know. Ooh, I'm going to give it an eight and a half, but it only loses one and a half because I was really looking forward to them to get to the Overlook Hotel at the end, but then it just turned out not to be the pinnacle of the film. And going back and watching it again, I'll probably give it a nine or a ten because now I know what to expect. Yeah. And therefore I can pace myself a little bit. Now... I'm saying that we've just come out of Doctor Sleep. That's a little bit of a lie, isn't it? It's a fib. It's a white lie. It's a little fib <laughs> because we actually went and saw it earlier on this evening because today is Halloween. It is. Happy Halloween, Happy Hannah. Happy Halloween to you too. Um, we decided to go and watch Rocky Horror Picture Show Sing Along and you've never seen it before. I've never seen it. I have. So what are your thoughts on Rocky Horror Picture Show? It was really really good but it, also the fact that it was a sing-along and everyone was dressed up if you don't know the Prince Charles 
often hosts a sing-along where you can dress up and get involved. This is the Prince Charles cinema, not Prince Charles. Uh, yeah, not <laughs> we Prince didn't Charles pop to the palace yeah. and dress up <laughs> and saw the Queen dressed in her um, fishnet tights playing Frankenfurter. That, I would pay to see that. It was so good. I mean, I, I knew a lot of the music already because it's so well-known. Um, but I basically knew nothing about the film or the, what it would be like other than that there'd be men in fishnets. <laughs> That's kind of it. Yeah, yeah. And... I mean, yeah. what, what more could you want? Yeah. And I just... I don't know. It was great. Tim Curry was amazing. Susan Sarandon was great as well. Yeah, yeah. You were just telling me about how much you now love Tim Curry. Yeah. And I, all I know him from, other than this, is um, The Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> <laughs> Home Alone 2? No, I haven't seen it. Ah. Wow. No, it's... it's yeah. But he's, it's fabulous. Like, just everything about his facial expressions and his pronunciation, his costume... He's a legend. Yeah, he was role. great. Like I've seen Rocky Horror Picture Show on stage, mm. and they also did a, um, a Rocky Horror Picture Show live. The Americans did it, which was an abomination against humanity. Yeah. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. I didn't even make it past Damn It, Janet. Why so? Why so terrible? What happened? Because it was so. It was so bad. Like it just. It tried to be something that it could never be and Tim Curry is so iconic in that role that no one can replace him yeah, I can't picture anyone else doing that no no one you, there was a lot of people dressed up as him they look fabulous I love it when people have that confidence just to get that yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of basque on and then the fishnet tights it and everything looks so good. The and the high heel I couldn't do it I've always wanted to dress up to a Rocky Horror Picture show but I know I'll just probably look like my nan being there tonight I felt left out that we should like I wish we would have been dressed up we should have put some lippy on should have done something with some fake it eyelashes it was just for the moment and it was sort out and we just happened to wiggle our way in yeah at the last moment we do we do that quite a lot don't we <laughs> we managed to wiggle our way in um, what would you give Rocky out of 10 actually you know the experience itself was great like a 9 out of 10 but I do need to watch it again because it was so loud in there with all the singing yes. and the shouting and the screaming was that just me I was belting <laughs> out those tunes you were, you were. I, knew, I know every line I love it so much but so many people in the auditorium know the film so well that they can oh. riff and like um, ad lib like ad lib yeah. some of the ad libs had me in stitches yes. <laughs> the bit when Brad whipped off his glasses and someone shout out it's Superman <laughs> and then when he put the glasses back on they went where's Superman gone <laughs> I died brilliant it was good um, oh there you go 9 out of 10 for Rocky Horror Picture Show on Halloween night maybe I'm being too generous i giving them both 9 out of 10 well yeah yeah so well watch it again in a quiet room with headphones <laughs> alone. on alone <laughs> yeah. and see what you think of it then but I guarantee it's probably still a 9 out of 10 alright or a 10 out of 10 I'll do it Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me again. Lovely. Here's Hannah. Bye-bye. Bye. When I was a kid, there was a place. A dark place. They closed it down and let it rot. But the things that lived there... They come back. I don't mean to ride the bus this far north. You're running away from something. <gasps> I'm running away from myself, I guess. Hi. 
You can hear me. You're magic. Like me. I don't know about magic. I always called it the shining. The world is a hungry place. A dangerous place. These people, they hurt people like us. These empty devils, they'll eat what shines. And they've noticed that little girl. Oh, hi there. Get out of my head! Get out! I haven't felt power like that in so long. They're coming. Where are we going? There's a place. You sure you want to do this? I'm ready. you run dear and then I will find you and you will scream for years come play with us forever and ever So number seven on the list is High Life. Now, High Life came out earlier in the year and it is the story of a father and his daughter who struggle to survive in deep space where they live in complete isolation. Now, this stars Robert Pattinson in a very indie project, actually, even though it has got a bit of a budget. I absolutely adored this film. I first saw it at the Curzon Mayfair and then I saw it again when it was released in Cineworld because I wanted to see it on a much bigger screen. And I thought that the plot line was very complex yet interesting. There were some ideas in there which really, really, you know, interested me. Um, like plot themes about, um, you know, crime and punishment, about reproduction about the rights of a father the rights of a mother the idea of people being put into isolation and whether it is right or wrong morally to let those people suffer and to hold back their rights uh juliette brinoche is the doctor on the ship and she's absolutely incredible in the role she is sinister yet sexy yet mysterious in so many ways and I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed watching her on the screen. I think the thing that stood out for me was the production values on High Life. Even though it is quite a small indie project the production values were amazing and some of the scenes in like the hydroponic centre with the plants and then the you know going out into deep space the contrast was fantastic and I love Robert Patterson's performance he's just doing so much work in variety at the moment I mean he's about to be Batman for goodness sake and he's making films like this and making films like The Lighthouse um for me it's definitely definitely should be on the top 10 lists some critics disagree some people thought it was too out there too arty I did completely disagree with that I think it was a perfect balance of art house indie cinema and popular cinema I think that this will be seen in a few years time and a as an absolute classic of the decade and I'm really privileged that I got to see it on the big screen twice.
So number six on the list is probably my favourite thriller of the year. It is all the way from South Korea. It is Burning. Now, Burning is about a young boy called Jong Su who bumps into a girl that he used to live on the same neighbourhood as. And she asks him to look after her cat while she goes away on a trip to Africa. And when she comes back, she introduces Ben, a mysterious guy she met there, who confesses his secret hobby. Now, the thing I really loved about Burning is that it's obviously got a title which is ambiguous. But I think it's about burning desire. It's about jealousy. It's about the need to be in someone's presence. And when that person is taken away, the need to find justice. I think all the performances in this film are spot on. Jong Si Jun, who plays uh, Shin, is incredible in this film. And Stephen Yoon, who some of you might know from The Walking Dead, plays Ben in this film. And he's just got this very creepy aura around him you're not quite sure what he's up to and what he's doing and if he's guilty or not and I just think as a thriller it works really well but on different levels you know it's a love story it's a story about jealousy it's a story about the mysteries of love and hatred and it, there's so much in there I think it's an absolute gem of a movie it's quite long I remember when I went to see it it was um, a proper epic, but it's one of those films that you really don't know what's going on until the final moments, and that's why it works so well. So number six on the list is Burning. So number five on the list is the documentary For Summer. This documentary was very hard-hitting. It really affected me. I think that anyone who has seen it has come away feeling very affected by it here's the for summer retrospective that i did back when it was released hello there and welcome to this special edition of the films i love most podcast um the reason why i'm doing this one-off special is because i am going to talk about the documentary for summer which um i think needs a episode of its own purely for the subject matter and um, the sensitivity and gravity of the movie. I'm going to start off by saying that I have never seen anything like this and it has deeply, deeply affected me whilst I was watching the movie and afterwards. Um, it's a documentary. Um, it's set in Aleppo during the Syrian um, civil war. And it is a remarkable piece of filmmaking. Also, it is very reflective now of what those poor, poor people went through. And uh, this goes without saying that this episode is obviously I'm thinking about those that lost their lives during that conflict. And you see a lot of that in the documentary. Um, you are there amongst the people as citizens are dying, children are dying, and babies, I mean, babies are killed in 
bombardments with bombs and gunfire and you see this you're you're well in there with the action um i'm sorry i'm gonna get very emotional because i've i've only i watched this film earlier today and um i'm still very much shaken by it so um wayd el katib is the filmmaker um she has the camera throughout the whole documentary and records right the way from 2012 up to 2016 she um gets married in the course of the documentary to hamza and uh, one of the most beautiful scenes in the documentary is when they get married and seeing their love and how much they are how much bonded they are together and um it's very very beautiful and um it just shows you how much how love is stronger than hate and war and conflict. They have a baby, um, Sama, who, from the very beginning, you realise that this documentary is being made for her. There is numerous times during the documentary where um, Waid and Hamza could leave uh, with Sama, but they decide to stay because they are in charge of a hospital which is doing really good work, which is having 3,000 people a day coming in and uh, Hamza is a doctor who is treating um, over 900 people a day, um, just, just operations to save people's lives. And I cannot tell you how much I respect to these people. They stayed in a war zone just so they could do good and risk their lives. Everybody who stayed in that hospital risked their lives. And I cannot tell you how much respect and love I have for those people. Um, if you are thinking about going to see it, it is something that I think everybody at some point in their life could should see. Um, it's It really is a way of... In the news, okay, I'll put it this way, in the news we seem to forget about Syria quite a lot, especially now when we have this absolute ridiculous situation going on with our government, and Syria seems to be have forgotten, and it sort of comes in the news every now and again, and then is completely forgotten. This shows you why it should not have been forgotten, and why something should have been done earlier. Um, I cannot tell you how frustrated and angry I felt watching the documentary that um, allied forces from our side were not doing more in fact you will see if you see the documentary the russians uh, bombing aleppo was an absolute disaster for those people living there um, hundreds and hundreds of people died in the most horrific way um, there are scenes in the film where you see a mother realize that her child is dead and it is It is probably one of the most affecting things I've ever seen on film. Um, the mother just says, you know, I have milk for you. Wake up, wake up. And this child is obviously um, has passed away because of uh, the bombing. So <clears throat> it's a very difficult film to watch. and it, But it it's a story that needs to be told. And you know what? I'm going to get angry about it because things could have been done. And um, the the people out there who prob- they probably know who they are. Shame on them. Shame on them for putting those poor people through what they did. Um, 
looking at taking a step back and looking at it as a documentary as a film it's a masterpiece it it is um affecting it is um you really care about the people in that documentary and my heart was in my mouth because i was really hoping that they all made it through alive and that they nothing happened to them especially for baby summer um i think the way that the documentary was almost like a letter to her to a letter to the baby so that in the future she can watch it and and understand why her parents made the decisions that they did um i'm not even going to rate for summer because it doesn't need it it's not it goes beyond that it's it's um a slice of history that i think a lot of people should feel very very ashamed about and all i can say is to the filmmakers and everybody who is involved in the documentary um i've n- never felt so much love and respect towards those people and you know i've always been a advocate for um refugees for people seeking asylum i think anybody who watches this film will know why these people need help and why they needed help back then and why they need help now because the situation for them is absolutely dire this film is a is a game changer it's a life changer and i cannot stress how much you need to see it to understand just how how you know it's difficult to say how much we take for granted and how this whole situation with our government at the moment is just overwhelming everything you just see these people you just look into the eyes of that woman whose child has died and she just can't take the situation in you just look at her and just think is this really worth all this fuss no there are more important things in the world that we should be worrying about and more important people that we should be taking care of so for sama if you want to go and see it do i will warn you there are lots of disturbing images but there are also images of hope and um we need hope right now in this country but i tell you what those people need it more and i will just say now that um if anyone out there is affected by this or if anyone out there um has any experiences in um um Aleppo or has come to this country um seeking asylum then um from me and I know thousands of others out there you are more than welcome Number four, it is probably my favourite film that's been released on Netflix this year. It's Adam Driver, it's Scarlett Johansson, of course, it could only be Marriage Story. Marriage Story, which is on Netflix, starring Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. It's um, a compassionate look at a marriage breaking up and a family staying together. So... Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver are a couple that have been together for quite a while. They work together. Adam Driver's character is a director. Scarlett Johansson's character is an actress. She was in a teen flick in the 90s. And when Adam Driver's character Charlie met her, he fell instantly in love. 
and they've been together ever since and they have a son. It starts off with letters being read by each other about each other, which I thought was beautiful, and they describe what they love most about each other. And then it quickly dissolves and they are in a marriage counselling session where you discover that the whole letter scenario was actually an exercise set by the marriage counsellor because they are on the verge of divorce. As the film continues, you see these two people that obviously love each other but can't be together. And it's heartbreaking to see these two characters go through what they have to go through. It also shows the absolute horrific and demonising procedure that people that want to get divorced in the States have to go through, even if they want to do it amicably and they want to stay friends and they want to do the right thing for the kids. It's almost like that the solicitors are there to try and stir the pot and create trouble and try and accuse others of just doing horrible things just to try and get more money or to try and look like the better person in the scenario, which is absolutely horrendous. And Marriage Story really, really shows how far some of these lawyers go to try and manipulate situations. The performance in this the performances in this film I'm getting a bit emotional, sorry, because I really, really did love this movie. Um the performances in this film are second to none. It's almost like watching a masterclass. Adam Driver is spot on with a man going through an unravelling situation and not being able to control it. And Scarlett Johansson plays the hurt woman who is scorned, who finds out that at some point her husband did have a one-night fling with someone and therefore she finds it very difficult to deal with that it's just so beautifully acted and it's two and a half hours long and I was completely and utterly absorbed into this family and I and I cannot stress how much this film is raw and honest and poignant relevant and I absolutely adored it and I would recommend this film to anybody because it's almost like an exercise in how not to get divorced. So Marriage Story is going to get a firm 10 out of 10 from me. What I love about Nicole, she is a mother who plays, really plays. What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night. She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone. He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far. I know. It's not easy for her to close a cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. She's He's very competitive. So I'll tell Charlie what's happening, and Cassie, you then hand him the envelope. I just get nervous. Can you unserve? What do you mean, like take it back? Charlie and I are getting a divorce, Mom. You can't be friends with him anymore. Dreamer! Charlie Bird! <laughs> Mom! <laughs> Mom! What? You know, most people in my business, you just transactions to them. I like to think of you as people. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> 
You remind me of myself on my second marriage. If you're into your world cinema and you like things a little bit odd, then you can't go any more odder than our number three on the list, which is Parasite. This next film is going to be my film of the week. And it's not released in the UK till January, but there are some cinemas that are showing it as special presentations around London and the UK. So if you can get to one of these special presentations, please do, because this film is incredible. And it's Parasite. Now, Parasite is a Korean movie. It's probably, probably... A horror movie, probably a romantic comedy. It might be a thriller. I'm not quite sure if it's a full out laugh out loud comedy, even though there are moments in it that I think are comic genius. This film is such a mix of genres, I can't even tell you where it fits. So, all unemployed. So, Kaitak and his family take particular interest in a wealthy and glamorous family called the Parks. Um, and as they integrate themselves into the lives of the Parks, they get entangled in an unexpected incident. Now, I'm not going any further with the plot because this is a film that you really need to go to knowing nothing. I wouldn't even watch the trailer if I were you. It's one of those films that demands repeat viewing, but you need to go in with a complete fresh palette when it comes to this film. There are moments that will make you gasp, make you laugh, make you cry, make you want to leave the cinema because it is so intense. That's what the thing about this film, that's what I would say, it's intense. There's this sort of building horror and building tension within the movie that you just think to yourself I've got nowhere nowhere to go I can't escape this film I have to watch it I have to watch it to the end but I'm not sure if I would survive <laughs> I was pretty much three quarters of the way through the film thinking I'm not sure this film is good for my health but it is probably one of the best things I've ever seen and as the film progresses you get to know some of the characters a little bit more. Every character in the film has their time to shine, even though it is quite a large cast. There are 
very, very strong messages in this film. Mostly to do with the class system. Mostly to do with, you know, fairness and equality within the community. Whether it's the community in Korea or anywhere around the world. This has particular resonance with the UK, I think. Which is why I feel this film affected me so much. There is a lot of social commentary in this film. And I think that you can either watch it with that head or you can watch it as a complete and utter thrill ride. I think that if you watched it with your social commentary head on, then I think that there is a lot to take out of this film and a lot to think about. If you just see it as a thriller, I think you'll really, really enjoy it as well. This is Parasite. It's out in the UK on the 7th of February, but there are a few cinemas and screenings around the UK going on now. And I'm giving Parasite 10 out of 10. Deeply moved by number two, I was shown at the London Film Festival this year. Number two on the list is Waves. So call me a soppy bugger. But I have chosen the film that affected me emotionally the most at the film festival. I came out of this movie feeling like there was a ball of emotion in my chest. And when I got home, I cried for about 10 minutes. It wasn't an emotion that I could show at the time. It sort of, as the more I thought about the film and its layers and its relationships... I got home and I just exploded and cried and I absolutely loved it and it's being released in the new year and my number one film of the London Film Festival 2019 is Waves, directed by Trey Edward Schultz. It is an absolute masterpiece in dealing with the consequences on a family of an, an horrific event which is dealt with in the first hour and ten minutes of the movie. The consequences are dealt with with the rest of the running time of the film. But it de deals with such raw emotion, happiness, sadness, loss, betrayal. It's all mixed in this film and it's absolutely beautiful and played to such perfection. Now, I'm not really up with... Uh, Trey Edward Schultz's work before this but I have to say that it is an absolute masterpiece and I saw it in the Odeon Lux um, in a, with a full audience and there is one moment in the film where as a complete audience we gasped and I could see people crying and it was a really really shared experience which I've never really experienced before in a cinema and that's why I think I loved it so much. You could just see raw emotion coming from members of the audience, which is fantastic. I mean, with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, we need a release that's safe and comforting for us. And Waves definitely delivers. I would say that Waves is also a film that should be shown in schools from a very early age. Obviously, it's a 15, so it would only be able to be shown at 15 but I think that it's a very important cultural film, especially with the times that we're going through at the moment. And it has a huge message. And I heard it and it really spoke to me, which is why Waves 
is number one film for me at the London Film Festival 2019. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not rude. It doesn't boast. Love also forgets wrong. I will always love you. How I do. It's been hard, hasn't it? Let go of a prayer for you. How you doing with everything? I'm good. Just a sweet word. You know it's okay if you're not. The table is prepared for you. I'm trying to give you the tools to succeed in this world. It's not easy out there. Everything I do is for you. Everything. I know you're under a lot of pressure right now, but I'm just getting really scared. But you'll have this place to call home. Everything's gonna be okay, all right? Always. We're in this together. And there you have it, the top nine films of 2019 in the Films I Love Most podcast's humble opinion. But number one, of course, this is what you're all here for, to find out what we thought the number one film of 2019 was. And it's that strange little oddity that was tucked away at the London Film Festival, which had me gripped from beginning to end. Beautiful music, beautiful scenery and amazing acting. It is Monos. I saw this at a press screening for the, fil for the London Film Festival. And I saw it about two, three weeks before it was actually shown at the festival. So I saw it quite early on and it blew me away. And the film, of course, is Monos. Now, I have spoken about it. I know some of you are probably like, oh, we know what you said. But I'm reevaluating it because it is now available to you. Monos is directed by um, Aldrero Landis. And I described it last time as a bit like Apocalypse Now for kids. But when I say for kids, I mean that kids are in it. It's not a film for kids. I have to really stress that. And the mood, the cinematography, the music, the acting, the locations, everything for this movie came together for me. I thought it was an absolute masterpiece. I watched it with the same sort of mindset as I watched Apocalypse Now. And it has that vastness. It has that sort of military intelligence about it but it also has this very strange air of mystery we don't really know what world that these kids exist in is it our world is it in the future is it in the past it's very timeless this story and that's what I really really enjoyed about it and also the scenes set in the jungle are so well made it's like guerrilla cinema it's 
you, you see some of the actors, which are kids, young adults, in such precarious situations that you think, how did they get away with filming that? Like, there's a scene in the movie set um, where some kids fall in the rapids and you're watching it thinking, but that's them in those rapids. Like, it's so dangerous. It's almost like health and safety has completely gone out the window. Um, some people would think that's a good idea. But it's really, really good. It's really well made and it's beautiful. And I think it would be, um, for my nephew's generation, it will be Apocalypse Now. And I'm, I'm not, that's not an understatement. It's, it's seriously one of the well best films I've seen in a very long time and it's so well made and it won best film at the London Film Festival so that just shows you how good this film is I'm so passionate about this movie I think everybody should see it and if you're really interested in film that you then you will not see a better film this year than Monos and I give Monos 10 out of 10 because it's a masterpiece have it my lovely film lovers that was the top 10 movies of 2019 according to the films i love most podcast my oh my what a year it's been i cannot thank you enough you've all been amazing your correspondence your interaction with the podcast has been great and i'm really really happy and excited about what the future holds and it's all down to you remember i say it every week this podcast is nothing without you so please if you want to get involved you can record a voice message and send it to me with your favorite film to instagram facebook or twitter and you can also do it to the film i love most podcast at yahoo.com it's been an absolute pleasure i can't wait to come back and to have lots more fun and laughs with you because it's going to be an incredible year here at the films i love most podcast we will be back mid-january we're taking a couple of weeks break to get used to being in a new decade and we'll be back with some very very exciting new features and i really hope that you will join us then so 
from me and everyone here at the Films I Love Most podcast. Thank you very much and Happy New Year. Thank you so much for listening to the New Year special of the Films I Love Most podcast. I'm so grateful to all you listeners out there and I wish you a very, very happy new year. Mwah. 2020, baby.